This episode of Lord John Lander includes sensitive topics that some listeners may find distressing or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Lord John Lander, the Outlander podcast for Lord John fans, where we talk about all things Outlander, but especially about Jamie and his Sassanac. And sometimes we talk about Claire, too. For however long it takes, we'll lead you on a journey so chaotic, you'll question every life choice that led you to be here today. And like the Hotel California, you can check out anytime, but you can never leave. We may not be the Outlander podcast you wanted, but we will be the Outlander podcast you didn't know you needed. Now, before we get into it, this is your one and only warning that show and book spoilers are lurking around every corner. We're going to spoil stuff from future seasons, future books, and our own brains. Remember, if you can't prove our headcanon didn't happen, then we can only assume that it did. If you make it through the episode in one piece, we'd love to hear from you. Send us your burning questions, wild theories, thick prompts, flattering compliments, or whatever's on your mind. You can contact us on Twitter and Tumblr at Lord John Lander or on our website at lordjohnlander.wordpress.com where you'll also find our archived episodes, teasers, thick wrecks, and more. Hello, welcome back to Lord John Lander. We're your hosts. I'm Mistress Pandora. You can call me Pan. And I'm Beth. We are here for the longest episode of Outlander to date at 90 minutes. Mm. it's so long what about season six episode one that was a pretty long one is it not as long as this one? Oh, i don't know i'll check while you're mm. um doing your flash history lesson though beautiful okay so it's kind of fortuitous with the corrections and clarifications because my correction this week is um gonna lead us right into our history lesson so Last week during my history lesson, I mistakenly said that James V of Scotland becomes James I of England. I don't know where my brain was at. I know that isn't true. And thankfully, our Scottish correspondent pointed it out. So I'm able to correct that because it's James VI of Scotland, the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, and Lord Darnley, um, who we're going to discuss today, that was also James I of England and Ireland. And it's just it's just a perfect segue. So we are in 1558. By the way, sometimes you're going to hear me use names for people that you don't usually hear just because there's a lot of different people that have the same first name. So we're mainly going to be talking about Mary, Queen of Scots, who I will also sometimes refer to as Mary Stuart and Elizabeth I of England, who I will sometimes call Elizabeth Tudor. And I will also be talking about Mary the First of England. So I will also refer to her sometimes as Mary Tudor, just to kind of differentiate so you know who we're talking about. All right. So in 1558, Mary Stuart had just married the Dauphin of France. If you remember, she was supposed to marry Edward VI of England, Henry VIII's son. Um, it, it was under this treaty, but then they sent her to France instead. She was the only living legitimate child and heir to James V, who had died less than a week after she was born. And Mary de Guise is the regent in Scotland. She's uh, part of a, a noble family in Scotland, and she's the regent. In the same year, 
Elizabeth I, Elizabeth Tudor, took the throne in England following the death of her half-sister, Mary Tudor, or Mary the first, or sometimes known as Bloody Mary. And unfortunately, we don't have time to get into that. (laughs) (laughs) There is a little bit more of English history in here because it's so intertwined at this point. You can't really talk about Mary Queen of Scots without talking about Elizabeth the first. So Elizabeth's accession was kind of controversial. She'd been removed from the line of succession by her father Then he restored her to the line of succession sometime before he died. And then her brother, Edward VI, removed her again. In the eyes of some people, Elizabeth was technically a bastard. So um, Mary was the daughter of Henry VIII and his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. She was a Catholic. And she's the one who Henry divorced under the Church of England and then married Anne Boleyn, who was Elizabeth's mom. Anne Boleyn was a Protestant, and many people of the Catholic faith never recognized that that marriage was legit because Catherine of Aragon was still alive. The Catholic world at that time, especially, divorce just, it was like you couldn't get divorced. It just didn't happen. You could get annulled, but we won't get into that. Anyway, so her sister, Mary Tudor, who had just been queen, was a Catholic. She had made concerted efforts to bring England back under the Catholic Church. But Elizabeth is a Protestant like her mother, and anybody who's Catholic is going to be suspicious of Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I and Mary, Queen of Scots, were first cousins once removed through Henry VII. So Elizabeth was the daughter of Henry VIII, and Mary... Queen of Scots was the daughter of Henry VIII's sister, Margaret Tudor, who had married James IV of Scotland. But it's important to note Henry VIII's will excluded the Stuarts from the line of succession. But if you're going by bloodline alone, Mary, Queen of Scots, would be next in line after Elizabeth I. So as you can imagine, those who supported the Catholic Church over the Church of England saw Mary Stuart, who was a Catholic, as a viable candidate to take over in England. Because of this, the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth was always contentious. Meanwhile, in Scotland, there was a bunch of anti-French sentiment growing. Mary de Guise died in 1560, and soon after that, the Old Alliance ended with the signing of the Treaty of Edinburgh, which abolished French and English soldiers from Scotland. And then days later, the Scottish Reformation began when the Scottish Parliament abolished the Catholic Church and outlawed mass. These are a busy few years. In December of 1560, Mary Stuart's husband, Mary the Queen of Scots' husband, the former Dauphin, now known as Francis II, died. So they were only married for like two years. He ascended to the throne in 1559, and then he died in 1560. Mary, who was a Catholic raised in France, returned to Scotland about nine months later, and she had this illegitimate half-brother, James, the Earl of Moray. He assured her that if she came, she would be allowed to have mass and kind of do her Catholic thing in peace. So when she first came and actually took the throne um, in Scotland, there were some protests from the Protestants, but she ended up being pretty successful for a while, partly because she tolerated the Protestant ascendancy and kept her brother, who was a prominent Protestant, as her closest 
advisor. Her privy council favored Protestants. So she had more Protestants than Catholics on her privy council. And a lot of people saw this as a signal that she was eyeing the English throne. And in fact, she did send an ambassador to England to ask Elizabeth I if Elizabeth I would establish her as heir presumptive. Elizabeth said no, but she also was kind of like, wink, wink. I can't think of anybody else who would be better for the job, sweetie. But, you know, it was she Elizabeth was never going to put any of that shit in writing. Right. So first of all, you know, nobody knew if Elizabeth was ever going to marry. She didn't. But, you know, she could have had kids at some point. So there's no way she was doing that. In 1565, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, married her first cousin, Lord Darnley. He was also a Catholic. They were both grandchildren of Margaret Tudor. This is the sister of Henry VIII, who married James IV of Scotland. Not only did he have his claim to the throne as a grandchild of Margaret Tudor, he also had a line um, of descendancy going back to a woman named Mary Stuart, who was the daughter of James II. So he was like double in line for the throne or had a double claim to the throne. And everybody was mad about this. He also was an English person. You know, he's from England. So like this marriage did not make anybody freaking happy. So Elizabeth I was not happy at all because with his like double claim and her claim, then there if they had a kid, they'd ha- that kid would have like a triple claim, and like Elizabeth was not happy about that. But she, so she was mad about that because this whole time there's like this whole thing where like she knows Mary's kind of gunning for the throne, but like Mary doesn't say that, and Elizabeth's always kind of like won't say it out loud either, so it's always just kind of awkward. Um, So Elizabeth said the reason she was mad was not because of the whole triple claim to the throne thing, but because Lord Darnley was an English subject. And as a person in the royal family, she thought he should have asked permission to marry Mary, Queen of Scots. But Mary, Queen of Scots was always like, yo, I'm an anointed regent. Like I, nobody else tells me what to do. Okay. When she married Lord Darnley, her brother was pissed off because she had married a Catholic. And it wasn't just her brother, but all the Protestant lords, led by her half-brother, rebelled openly and ended up, and they kind of ended up playing this silly little like cat and mouse game where they were like moving around Scotland in pursuit of each other, but they never actually engaged in any battles or anything. It was actually called like the chase around conflict or something like that. (laughs) So all this is happening, and then it turns out, I'll be clear here, Mary married Lord Darnley for love. I mean, I'm sure there was an aspect of like, ooh, triple claim to the throne, but like, she also was madly in love with this guy. And then he kind of turned out to be an asshole. Right after this whole cat and mouse game, he asked Mary to make him a co-sovereign so that he would could reign in his own right if Mary died. She's like, no way. Their marriage became very strained, though they did conceive a child um, around the same time. Then in 1566, Darnley formed a secret alliance with the Protestant lords. First, they murdered Mary's secretary, David Rizzio, in front of Mary while she was pregnant. Like, just murdered him straight up. And then the Protestant lords were gunning for for Mary, but then Darnley like switched sides again. 
And he went back to Mary's side and they had to like flee the castle and take refuge in Dunbar Castle for about a week. And then they returned to Edinburgh and uh, Mary restored Murray, her her half-brother and the other Protestants to the council. And that kind of was like, kept the peace for like a little bit. And then in June, 1566, James VI um, was born. That's James VI of Scotland, James I of England. In early 1567, though, Darnley was murdered. So this, there was like kind of a big buildup to this. Like at by this point, Mary wanted to get rid of Darnley. Like everybody wanted to get rid of Darnley. And then somebody finally, you know, pulled the lever and killed him. So pulled the lever. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. Emperor's new groove <laughs> popped into my head. <laughs> Pull the lever, drunk. <laughs> So then there was like a bunch of people that were suspects of Darnley's murder, um, one of which was Mary. Um, And there were a few other guys. And then there was this guy named James Lord Bothwell. And there had been a rumor previously that Mary was having an affair with this guy. There was even rumors that her son, James VI, was actually this guy's child. He was a Scottish nobleman and he was a suspect. He was acquitted. And then part of the reason he was acquitted was because there were charges being brought on him. And Mary was like, yeah, okay, this trial is going to go on. And then the the guy who was presenting evidence was like, oh, I, I, I want to like take a pause on this trial so I can go gather my evidence. And Mary was like, no. So then they had a trial and this guy didn't have any evidence to show that Bothwell was guilty. So Bothwell, he was acquitted. So after she did him that solid, he turned around and formed an alliance with a bunch of noblemen and priests to support him in a plot to marry Mary, Queen of Scots. Um, So in April of 1567, she was abducted by him and a bunch of people, possibly sexually assaulted by him, and then forced to marry him that May. By the way, he had only divorced his wife like a few months before this. So that happened. And then a bunch of Scottish peers raised an army against Mary and Bothwell. (laughs) So there was like a battle that happened. And then Bothwell was given safe passage off of the like battlefield. But Mary was imprisoned on an island and she was forced to abdicate in favor of her son. And Moray, her half-brother, became regent. Later, Bothwell was caught and went to Denmark where he was um, captured and imprisoned in Denmark and he went insane and he died um, in 1578. Meanwhile, Mary managed to escape from the prison. She did raise a small army, but she was defeated and fled to England thinking that her cousin Elizabeth was going to help her regain her throne in Scotland. Instead, (laughs) Elizabeth was like, hmm, Maybe we should like check out to see if you actually uh, murdered your husband first, uh, meaning Lord Darnley, not Bothwell. I mean, this is so complicated and I can only skim the surface, but there was like all these different inquests and all this stuff into who had murdered Darnley. Eventually, Elizabeth did not find any evidence that Mary had murdered him, but she was like, you know what, though? I'm not going to find you guilty, but I'm also not going to acquit you. So basically, you're now my prisoner for life. So in 1569, she was sent into the custody of this guy, Lord Shrewsbury. He lived on this big estate. She had 
kind of free reign to live on this estate. She had a she had a household and all of that, but she was not allowed to leave. There was a point in which Elizabeth did try to broker Mary's return to the throne in that in May of 1569, but the Scots were like, no, we don't want her back either. <laughs> so then she's just kind of imprisoned and kind of moved from different estate to different estate for a little while. And then in 1584, she saw an association with her son, James. So she was like, listen, you know, kind of bring me back to be legit and I'll stay in England. I'll stop plotting for the English throne. I'll be chill. I promise. Um, And James was like, maybe. And then he was like, no. Um, And he signed an alliance with Elizabeth I and said, Elizabeth, she didn't want this to happen either because she was like, I don't believe you, though, that you're going to stop plotting for the throne. Meantime, there were several plots that had gone on in those interim years, and it was just taking a while for those plots to kind of be sorted out, like what had happened. But finally, in 1586, Mary was implicated in a plot against Elizabeth, and she was convicted in October of that year and sentenced to death. But then Elizabeth was like hesitant to order her execution because it was like, okay, she is technically, you know, she's my cousin. She is technically, you know, the queen of Scotland. Then finally, Mary was told in February 1587 that her execution would be the next day. Her beheading did not go well. This girl cannot catch a break. So she was supposed to be beheaded. The first blow missed her neck and hit her in the head. You might just want to people who get squeamish, you might just want to yeah, like the- fast forward like 15, 20 seconds. The second that hit her neck left some mm, sinew that had to be chopped with an ax till her head finally became free. And then the icing on the freaking cake, when the executioner held up her head, it slipped out of its wig <laughs> and fell <laughs> back on That's not funny. (laughs) Nobody knew she wore a wig. So like it fell out of its wig and her head just like landed on the platform. And then it just revealed that she just had this like very short gray hair. So it was just the one last indignity. So then after (laughs) this all went down, Elizabeth was like, oh, my God, guys, I totally told you I was calling off that warrant. Like, you definitely went against my orders. I never said you should kill her. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she was just, you know, saving face. Um, Anyway, so that was the end of Mary, Queen of Scots. And her son, James VI, became James VI of Scotland. And then in 1603, Elizabeth died and um, she had declared he would be her successor. So he, when Elizabeth died in 1603, James became James I of England. And we have this united England, Ireland, and Scotland under one crown. Now, I know I only got through about like 40 years, <laughs> but a lot, but like a lot went on. And I think in our last history lesson during our finale next week, I'm going to skip a bunch and kind of skip right to the Glorious Revolution in 1688, which is when the Storts were deposed from the English crown. So that'll help us skip a bunch of time. Or if we have nothing to talk about in <laughs> in our finale next week, I'll just do a really um, in-depth deep dive. <laughs> so choice is up to you. <laughs> 
Wow. This continues to fill my head. Unfortunately, <laughs> this time of night, my brain is a sieve. So it falls right out. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just so interesting. And it it's just like. Mary Queen of Scots just was like born under a bad sign. It's just like, mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't help her cause any um, by like constantly plotting against her cousin. But yeah, it was just, she she just did not have a very lucky life. The original drama queen. <laughs> I feel like the Stuarts were kind of like doomed. Yeah. Well, you, <laughs> like, do you think? Like, <laughs> like a, <laughs> it's just, it's just like, you know, a lot of the storts before there's, you know, a few storts before her and it was kind of like bad shit happened to them and they were all like in prison for a part of their reign and like all this stuff. And then she gets there and she gets imprisoned and then they're actually only in power um, after that for about 80 years and then they get deposed again. <laughs> well, thank you for another very in-depth lightning round <laughs> history lesson in-depth lightning round in-depth in-depth lightning <laughs> that didn't make sense but let's go with it okay we're good yeah all right on to the episode and remember all this history guys is leading us up to how did we get to Culloden okay so that's remember go back this isn't just me being me there's a point to this, and we're talking about how did we get to Culloden in 1745. Six. 1746. Which is timely for this episode. So episode yes. 213, Dragonfly in Amber. So as we were starting, I said this is a 90-minute episode. Why, God, is this a 90-minute episode? And I did check the wiki. Episode 601 is 81 minutes. Oh, okay. Still the reigning winner. Yep. This episode is a fucking pretzel. It does. I mean, I feel like it doesn't completely feel like 90 minutes. Like it goes, it's a pretty good pace. No, no, it felt like 90 minutes to me because <laughs> 63 minutes into it, I'm checking the time. Like how much fucking Outlander is left? <laughs> like what in this shit? I was up at crocheting forever. <laughs> Oh, God. But yeah, so this is a uh, it's a back and forth, twisty, turny, lots of inner weavy, timey, wimey, wibbly wobbly bullshit. Lots of that. Lots of flashbacks, flash forwards and flashback forwards. I'm not going to try <laughs> to define any of those terms for the purposes of this episode, because I'll, I'll just have to. That would be it for me. <laughs> yeah. We're good. So I just want to start by saying that I kind of low-key love Fiona. No, I will not be offering any other explanation at this time. Yeah, that's about it. I, li I like her too. Fiona can stay. I like used to think she was super annoying, but like she kind of grown on me after like, you know, the 50,000th time. She's cute with her little crush on Roger. but you She's know. adorable. Good things happen to her, though, in the books. Yeah, but yeah, but doesn't her husband end up being like a dickhead? No. Ernie? Well, shit, now I, I don't thought remember. He, I think in like... Because they have... Is it... 
So they helped out when uh, Brianna and the kids were being chased by what? Yeah, but I think he was kind of a dick about it, too. Oh, I don't don't remember. I'll have to go back. I just remember him originally passing the vibe test and then later not passing the vibe test. Not passing the final exam. (laughs) Yeah, like he passed the quiz, but not the final. (laughs) (laughs) He only showed up for two classes the whole semester. (laughs) And he always had whiskey with him every time. Um, So, anyway, so... This episode always kills me because I'm like, all of this is like presented as like normal, right? Like, <laughs> all, like you're like, oh, good. <laughs> this whole, okay. But let's just, this entire series, everything is presented as just normal and none of it is normal. Yeah, I know. Even the reactions <laughs> to the very unnormal things are abnormal. Yeah. Everyone is so fucking weird <laughs> about the weird shit. Oh my it's god. All so bizarre. So at so at like first glance you're like, "Oh, that's so nice that Claire was able to go to the memorial for Reverend Wakefield." But then it's like imagine showing up. It's not like it's a memorial at like a church or a graveyard or like you know, whatever. It's like this intimate memorial. Yes, at the guy's <laughs> for <this> house. <laughs> for this man you haven't seen in 20 years. You don't know anybody there. She was like hoping Mrs. Graham would still be lying. Right. <laughs> Not only does she do that, but then after she finally, like, is able to explain to Roger who the fuck she is, then she's like... <laughs> Do you mind if I take a look around? Yeah, I can I just go wandering around your big ass house. <laughs> I just wanna take a walk down memory lane in your house. Sorry for your loss. I'm gonna go wander. I didn't even occur to me. Go check the medicine cabinets. <laughs> I'm so used to Claire's weird ass just stuff. It didn't even occur to me that that was just so freaking bizarre. You're so right. It's like, I can't even not, I just have to laugh at it because it's just so weird. I mean, and Claire is weird. Like Claire herself would say, I'm weird. Yes, I'm weird. Like, so it's like, it's fine. It is normal for her. But like, I just can't. Bizarre. I'm gonna go look through the drawers, you know. Like, <laughs> I remember exactly where the guest room is. But he could have rearranged the furniture. You know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, though, because that does sort of bring up a theme of Claire's um, that ha- that continues when she eventually goes back to Scotland because back to the when she goes back to the past because she seems to have a really hard time with like object permanence maybe it's not object permanence but like she has a really hard time imagining life going on anywhere without her 
because like Jenny yeah. points that out to her after she ends up going back to, to to Scotland in the past because Claire is like you know says does some stuff says some stuff. Jenny's like, do you think we were all just sitting here frozen in time? And I mean, yes, to Claire they kind of were, <laughs> right. but like it just seems like she has a really hard time conceptualizing other people's lives happening without her in it. And I, I do get that that's like kind of a thing. I mean, in a way, but it seems she struggles with it a little more than, than other people might. I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it. It's not object permanence. Um, no, it's not really. But Her empathy is selective. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's entirely voluntary. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes she's so weirdly smug when she's talking about the past. Like, Roger's like, oh, my name's Mackenzie. And she's like, mm, I knew a Mackenzie. <laughs> I knew a lot of Mackenzies. Or then he's like, in the Battle of Culloden. And she's like, mm, Culloden. Like, like it's, it almost makes me think like she's like hoping he'll ask. <laughs> so she can just tell the story. <laughs> it's just funny. And it's like, Honestly, I don't mean that anything like against her. Actually, I just think it's really funny. And it's obviously because it's fucking weird, the situation she's in. <laughs> but like, her situation is objectively weird. But also, she is yeah. so smug about the past and all of these little bitty <laughs> details and things. Lady, you were there three years. <laughs> <laughs> like, you spent more time in medical school. Than, than you did in the 1700s. Just saying. This is probably a conversation for season three, but I'm going to bring it up right now anyway, and we can pull the thread a little more. Mm-hmm. But like, <laughs> when you step back and look look at this story again, a little objectively, this is the equivalent of somebody going to their 20-year reunion in hopes of her high school sweetheart (laughs) still being interested in her and wanting to have the relationship continue. And I actually wrote a fic with that very same concept. (laughs) Drop the rack. Oh, it's called It Was Always You. Um, It's actually really fun. Jamie disappeared like their senior year of high school like right before graduation but it was because his dad was like involved with like um brazilian mobsters um but claire doesn't know that um so they both disappear and nobody's ever heard from them and then she goes to her 20th reunion and he actually shows up it turns out he he had a life in brazil he was like working for the the like drug lords or whatever Uh, but he was doing like computer stuff he wasn't like doing the drug stuff Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but like he has a son with a woman he met there and his name is William he's got to go back to to get William because he had to like flee so he's got to like sneak back into the country to to um, get William and John and Hector are like these like very flamboyant gays that Jamie's like been friends with like <laughs> in Brazil. Like it's kind of, it's a little bit like when they go to meet them, that's a little bit like the birdcage, <laughs> like, like that, that kind of vibe. That's such a specific mental image. It is such a specific <laughs> vibe. 
So anyway, okay. I won't tell any more about it, but it's it's very fun. It's a little soapy. I love it. It was it's one of my favorites. I remember that seeing I you posting it um, when you were writing it. I have not read it yet, so I should do that. So we'll link that in social media. I did finish it, though. My enthusiasm kind of waned at the end, so I feel like I kind of phoned it in the last chapter, but it's still really good. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, I wrote the fun part. Now I don't know what to do. So I pulled a Stephen King. <laughs> no, I didn't pull a Stephen King. <laughs> I could have, though. <laughs> Blow up the town. Mark Twain did that. <laughs> there it was i don't remember what it was but mark twain was writing something as a serial and he kept it kept going and kept going and kept going and then he finally gets to the end and he's like i can't get them out of this right fan fiction <laughs> he's like I'm, i can't i quit it's work it out yourselves oh, the, the, the characters won't get me there i can't get us there you can try it go <laughs> so mark twain that is the worst part of writing, though, is like, I have stuff happening here, and I know I want to get to here, but there's this void. <laughs> I am writing very smart characters, and I'm not <laughs> at that correct level. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, you're like, okay, so I know there's a void coming up, but I'm going to write this anyways, because I'm pretty confident in myself that I'm going to be able to just... Like the characters will tell me where to go to get to the end, and mm-hmm. then like you get to the you get to the void, and you're like, "Fuck, that didn't happen." <laughs> Someone was supposed to take the wheel. Why am I still driving? <laughs> or the characters, or like following the characters is just you've completely just veered off the road, and you're just like driving th- through the through a cornfield. Uh, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> There's no cell signal. Yeah, we've all. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> anyway <sighs> i guess it's fic day today um <laughs> shall we talk about murder? murder murder not a bunch of crows of course no what is the latin term for killing your uncle i don't is there one i don't know i hear typing are you googling it yeah <laughs> With- is this a common enough thing that there should be a Latin word for it? Avunculicide. Avunculicide. Can we just go with killing his freaking uncle? Because <laughs> it's so much easier to say. <laughs> nope. I will I will only be referring it to avunculicide from now on. Avunculicide. Okay. <laughs> if you do that, I'm not. <laughs> I'm in a very silly mood tonight. Oh my god. <laughs> You're silly. I'm salty. It's just it's an interesting vibe we have going on tonight. <laughs> oh god. Anyway. I will say the nice I will say a nice thing about this episode. I am gonna say I'm gonna say more than one nice thing, but I was kind of making fun of it for being a pretzel, but even on the rewatch, I did still kind of get chills in that first flashback when you look over Jamie's shoulder. Oh, God. The the freaking transitions in this episode are all like chef's kiss. On like, point. Love it. Very good. I, I was laughing. I guess I've been in a silly mood all day because I, <laughs> I was kind of laughing at James when um, Claire's like, hey, so we should kill the prince 
and and I we should use this thing that I let let your uncle take to kill himself. And then Jamie like just blows right past the regicide and <laughs> and gets hung up on the fact that his own that suicide is a sin. And Claire has to be like, focus, focus. Like yeah, done. Can't can't undo that one. That genie's out of the bottle. And then he's like shocked that Claire would suggest such a thing as to kill the Bonnie Prince. And I'm like, have you met your wife? Her. <laughs> it's it's kind of cute because he's like so dopey in love with her that like he's constantly surprised when she does something like nefarious, <laughs> which is which is kind of sweet in a way, but it's also really funny. <laughs> I should not be laughing. This is like the saddest episode. I should not be laughing as much. Okay. I'm going to be serious. What? No, don't start now. <laughs> We're two episodes into this hand basket. Let's not. <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, God. <sighs> anyway. But Dougal overhears and Dougal's not happy at all that they're going to they're plotting mur- murder i'll never be able to say murder with even a bad fake scottish accent but it is just spectacular regicide i can't, <laughs> I I can't really roll my r's <laughs> at all yeah so of course this leads to jamie killing his uncle also known as what was the word avunculicide there we go <laughs> this episode of lord john lander is brought to you by the word a what? <laughs> a vunculicide. Bunk- I have no idea if I'm saying it right. Who knows? If anyone speaks Latin, feel free to let us know. That that will also be on the quiz. I I kind of really want to write like a little bit of a quiz. Okay. Quiz you. Pull, go for it. Because I was looking. Yes. I looked at the, at the outline for next week. And I'm like, I don't have that in me. But if you would like to, to teach her that, go for it. <laughs> I might do it. And I mean, it's going to be open book, right? Because like you have all my notes. So if you're feeling feisty enough to go through the notes. I will not be studying. <laughs> I didn't mean to study. I mean, like during the quiz, you know, but um, I'm going to do a quiz. Okay. Yes. We can do a quiz. It'll be embarrassing for me. <laughs> can we Can we get back to killing Dougal? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So I think it's one of the best moments in Outlander. And and not and I'm not just saying that like because Dougal's dead. Like I just think it's a really the the sword fight. And if you remember back in season one during the gathering, I said that the the murder of Dougal in the movements and stuff like that kind of mirrors that shinty game that he had with Dougal in whichever episode that is three or four the gathering and you can kind of see it play out and it's just almost like yeah even though like I think the first time I watched it or whatever I was like holy shit like I didn't see it coming that Dougal was going to catch them but then it's like it it almost had to happen this way like we've been building to this for two seasons Jamie being frustrated with his uncle, then getting some power over him during 
the early part of the rising and just, you know, it's almost, it's like this had to happen. It couldn't have happened any other way. Yeah. Well, in the books later, Jamie tells Claire that Dougal's last words in Gallic were, and I won't remember the exact quote, but basically he was not surprised. He knew that one of them was going to kill the other. Dougal always knew that this was going to be the, the way they ended. Yeah. And it's interesting, though, that in the book, Jamie kills Dougal all on his own. Claire does not. She definitely doesn't help push the dagger in. Yeah. But in the show, they choose to have her help him. It seems like such a purposeful and specific change, but I'm like, I don't understand why. I feel like they've talked about it in interviews or something. I don't know. And it was supposed to be like some I, like bonding experience. I'm sure. I, I don't remember exactly, but it was like some <laughs> symbolism that they're in the thick of the shit together or something i don't know they already are though so it's kind of superfluous it's a bit on the nose it's right (laughs) slightly it's not a bad it's not a bad moment it's not necessarily a bad change it's not it's i don't think it's a necessary change i don't think it's good i don't think it's bad it just is a change so like yeah it's just yeah we maintain the fidelity of the scene and i think we maintain the integrity of the goal of the scene and what it was meant to convey to the viewer continue to embody the spirit of the passage from the book so i, I don't that's an interesting i maybe it was just part of that gotta keep claire as the main character in case we forget yeah, about that could her be it too. and her well humongous 1960s hair <laughs> the only thing that and it's not a big deal like it's fine. But like the only thing that does kind of bother it, bother me about it is if you are looking at this as the end of this arc for Jamie and Dougal and this inevitable ending to this, then it doesn't make sense for Claire to help him at the end. Yeah. And so that's the only reason from a storyteller point of view that I don't like her helping. Yeah. So in the in the midst of the battle, I forgot about this line um, where Dougal says to Jamie, come here and I'll kill you quick for your mother's sake. That should not have made me laugh, but it sure did. <laughs> See, you were being silly too. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the first note I wrote down while I was rewatching this episode. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta take notes. <laughs> Well, when I opened the dock up, that was the, like the only thing I saw. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. Pan needs help. Yeah. Okay. So then we go back to the future. Brianna has what I consider a very normal reaction <laughs> to uh-huh. finding out that the man who raised her isn't her father mm-hmm. and that her mother also is saying that her father is some dude that lived in 1745, 1746 and that her mother went back in time. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, she's a very normal reaction to that. Like if my mom started saying shit <laughs> like that, I would, she would be in a home so fast. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, <laughs> yes. I mean, Brianna 
was a little generous, probably because of her age. <laughs> Shady Pines, Ma. <laughs> Um, but but people get so pressed about this and they call her like a spoiled brat and all this stuff and it's like I think it's probably just because with Claire being the main character you know you're supposed to like identify with her but like Claire isn't even like mad at Brianna (laughs) really she's like no I'm gonna tell you this and you know I know this is a lot to take in but then you've got like half the fandom being like you spoiled freaking brat you should be lucky to have Jamie Fraser as your father I need to I need to just quickly walk back a earlier statement not everybody in this series no, absolutely no 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 in the series is absolutely oh. crazy. Brianna's actually fairly normal. Yes. <laughs> so that awkward moment when Brianna is the normal one. Okay. Continue. I just want to say everyone is weird, but she's actually pretty normal. <laughs> and then of course it got me thinking about my boy, William. Mm-hmm. So first of all, he and Brianna are about the same age when they find out that uh, Jamie Fraser is their father, yeah. which I found interesting. I'd never really thought of that. That's true. And people also have uh, very strong feelings about William, even more strong, stronger feelings against him, I think, because of who his mother is and because she's not Claire. Mm-hmm. And because of the circumstances of his conception, which is, I'm sorry, not I'm just going to say it. That's not his fault. If you think that, you are so batshit crazy. Like, I cannot help you. Nope. Like, if you dislike this child because he was born of rape, like, seek help. Okay? I think I said to seek help about something else last week, too. So I'm just going to – maybe that will be a new segment next season. Beth tells the fandom (laughs) to seek help. It could come right Um, after our our hot take that's going to get us canceled. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm coming for your throats, okay? Um, anyway, so I just find it interesting that there's such a lack of empathy for these essentially children. I mean, mm-hmm. Brianna's like what? Like She's 20. 20, 21. William's slightly younger. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's like 20 by the time. I, I don't know exactly for sure. And there's just this total lack of empathy for these characters who've been lied to their whole lives. And mm-hmm. it's just like, I, I don't, I, I don't get it. I've never understood it anyway. I, and we are not going to answer this question because who knows what goes on in the minds of crazy people, but I just wanted to point that out. And then I thought, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool though. That Brianna and William were also both raised by very good fathers that Jamie chose for them. So that's kind of, uh, huh. And you see, I said a nice thing about Frank, so I would like to clock that. I don't. Okay. I <laughs> we're not gonna. We're not gonna let that go by. Okay, okay. I will let it be written that today. <laughs> Beth said a nice thing about Frank. He was a very good father, and Jamie picked him. You're right. There really is just this lack of empathy towards these characters who get completely blindsided, their whole lives turned upside down. But it's so understandable that they react this way because like maybe 
maybe part of it is that as a fandom in general, we tend to be a little bit older. And so our brains have been done cooking for a little bit longer, right? So we may not necessarily react like this, or we may not think that we would react like this to that sort of news bomb being dropped in the middle of your life, right? But these are very young adults. They have not actually figured out what their worldview is, but now that they think they, they, they think they have, but they haven't. And then the whole thing gets just blown to pieces. Yeah. And for Brianna, like she has, she's not only found out that Claire was lying to her, but she's found out that Frank was lying to her. And that hurts her because she's still grieving because that's still her daddy. Yeah. She loves him so much. Yeah. And now he was lying too. And William has a very similar reaction. I mean, he knows. He because knows. John was lying too. Yeah. And he knows John wasn't his real dad. He knows that's his stepfather. And just right. like he knows Isabel wasn't actually his mother. He knows who his parents legally are, were. And then to find out that it's Jamie and that Jamie is Mac from when he was a kid. Yeah. And he was so heartbroken when Mac left and never said a word to him again. Yeah. And I think people kind of blow past that part. They think that William is upset about Jamie because of who Jamie is, but in their minds, it's because they think he, you know, cause Jamie's a Scott. Jamie was a stable hand. You know, William thinks he's above him, but it's more that it's because who Jamie is because Jamie is Mac. Yeah. And he had this bond with Mac and he had very happy memories with him and then he was abandoned by him. And now it's like almost like being abandoned by him all over again because mm-hmm. he realizes not only was he this just guy that was a good like friend to him, but was actually his father abandoning him. And that's the difference for William. And I think why it's even so much harder for him yeah. because even when Brianna found out, it wasn't that her father abandoned her. It was that he was... He thought he was going to die. Claire thought he was dead. You know, so even then there wasn't this abandonment. Even though she still did have some, like, concerns when she goes back about, like, does he want me? You know, that type of stuff. Also completely normal. Right. But, like, William is, like, complete abandonment. Mm -hmm. And it's like this, not only did this guy who I trusted lie to me, but he abandoned me. And I was this kid and he abandoned me. He had the opportunity to grow up with a biological parent. He could have. Yeah. Like if Mac had just made a different choice, if Jamie had just had played this differently, if John had played this differently, he could have grown up knowing who he actually was and could have had this connection to someone who is so important to him as a child. And so it's like losing, it's losing him all over again. If you... Notice when you're reading, William thinks about them as if they are two different people. Mm -hmm. When he's thinking of like a fond memory, he thinks of him as Mac. Yep. And then when he's thinking of his parentage, he thinks of him as Fraser. Yep. And I think what we're going to see, hopefully, in book 10, if it ever comes out, hopefully we're going to see him finally reconcile those two. But I have to say that 
Jen's fic, that's so that's JRC10 on AO3, she kind of does a really good job of showing that reconciliation for the William in her fic. Fair warning, it is a throuple fic. <laughs> that doesn't need a warning. Well, it doesn't need a warning, but like... It's tagged. If you're coming here for just the Jamie and Claire show, this you're not going to get it. If anyone is coming to Lord John Lander for the Jamie Claire show, I don't know. <laughs> that's, Seek help. That's that's true. <laughs> that's true. If you're on episode two thirteen of Lord John Lander, going, I hope they talk about Claimy some more. You seek help. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I forgot this. It's called The Silver Moonlight. And I'm pretty sure I've wrecked it on here before. It's but it's because it's that good. I think we have. But we'll do it again. Yes. So I'm going to do it again because it's one of the best fix I think, ever written. So anyway. So, so yeah. So it's just, it's very interesting that we have this, this lack of empathy for these very, very normal reactions but it's funny because like you mentioned that okay so maybe it's because they because we're the fandom's a bit older so we kind of forget how we might have reacted to something like that mm-hmm. in like you know our 20s I mean I think I'd still probably react pretty I don't know I <laughs> it would fuck me up okay uh, and it, I'm I mean yeah same old I'm old but it's funny, though, because whenever I see people saying they don't like William because he was, like, bratty to Jamie when God. when William and John visit Jamie at and Claire at Fraser's Ridge, have, I'm like... Have you met Jamie? Have you met pre... Well, have you met Jamie, but also have you met preteens? Oh, my God. They all act like that. Look, I got a 13-year-old... And an 11-year-old in my house. And let me tell you, I am fighting for my life every day. Okay. Sorry to laugh. That's your your struggle. But I mean, seriously. And then it's a preteen whose first name is Lord. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's just kids that age are freaking wrecks. They are. They are so, they are wrecks. And like, then you've got like William, who also, he's a lord, and he's also grown up in this very like straight laced, stuffy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of world. And then I think about. And his mom had just died in front of him in transit across an ocean by himself. Oh, God. That's so terrifying. Awful. So awful. Of the things he must have seen. I hope they kept him away. But Well, that's why he's, yeah. he was deathly afraid of leeches. He was going through it. I can't think of a day that poor little Willie was not going through it. But he was going through it. Perpetually. You no, know, I always... Why do I always like the troubled ones? I don't understand. I just have this, like, special place in my heart for these poor little abandoned babies. They are very messy and wonderful. I know. There's a lot to pick at, though. There is. William, who's gotten lost in the fog. God bless. At least twice in his life. (laughs) Fog. Swamp. Somewhere in upstate New York. (laughs) 
poor kid has the worst sense of direction. So I just, you know, wanted to point that out because I think Brianna as an overall character is pretty boring. I think she's a little disappointing as a character, but I don't understand why she gets so much hate or whatever you want to call it for how she reacts to this news. I think she just hasn't hit her stride yet as a character. I think that season seven and eight will probably be better. But of course, the the, the elephant in the room that we did not address with this is as the story progresses, Brianna and Roger, quote unquote, take time away from Claire and Jamie on the screen. Well, yeah. But that's called the circle of life, bitches. <laughs> See, even as time goes on, throughout, like, the entire series, for me, Brianna never really interests me. Like, I just think she's kind of a boring character. And it's interesting to me because Diana has said that Brianna was one of the hardest characters she's written because, like, she doesn't really speak to Diana or didn't at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And like I I feel like yeah. I feel like that kind of comes through a little bit in the writing that that Diana doesn't really connect with her yeah. um very much. So yeah, so that's that's for me. I mean, and I don't hate her like whatever, but I just find her to be pretty boring and Roger to be pretty annoying, so I kind of just I like like nah. Roger, be nice to Roger. I just said he was annoying. Okay? okay, that's not, that's like the highest crime a fictional character can commit. <laughs> <laughs> but I did make a note. Look, I made a note right on the thing. Roger is so good in these early episodes. Why did he have to turn out to be such a weenie? <laughs> if you went to the 18th century and your father-in-law was Jamie fucking Fraser, you would look like a weenie too. He's trying, okay? He's doing his best. We need to save that for season four. (laughs) I will say, though, that they have two of the most badass kids ever. So (laughs) JB and Claire's awesomeness kind of skipped a generation. (laughs) And we got it in Mandy and Jem. So, yeah, those kids are pretty cool. Murta continues to be my favorite, though. His reaction to Jamie killing Dougal is just absolute perfection. Like, I, uh. (laughs) a little surprised it took you this long but okay what's next my eyes got a little bit misty i didn't cry but they were sweating a bit um with the i won't be dying for nothing i'll be dying with you thing that was very emotional for me this is me being so (laughs) cold-hearted the last scene at kregna dude with jamie pushing claire into the stone which I said that weird, but now it's funny. <laughs> that doesn't get me like it used to. Because <laughs> I was just like, there's the rock lady. He's got to go meet John now. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you right. I get impatient. I, I think it's, it is a beautiful scene. It is. Though. It is so well done. Yes. Um, They really hit, hit all the notes on that. Including the quickie on the ground. Um, that was the quickest quickie ever. Because don't forget, when Claire wakes up in 
the future in Scotland or in Scotland in the future, she has Jamie's jizz still running down her leg. Sticky. <laughs> it's important that we know that. <laughs> um, anyway. I like how we've gotten this far. We haven't at all mentioned Galus slash Jillian. <laughs> not once. <laughs> not once is that. Not once is that crazy bitch showing up. It's a really cool like moment the first time you see it. Yeah. Like, when you're like, holy shit, it's her. And then you realize that like, oh my God, this is before she actually went back. Right. The- <laughs> so it's like this weird like... You know, but um, yeah, the first time or in, until you've seen season three all the way through. But then once you've seen season three yeah. all the way through, it's like, ooh, Brie, no, you're like danger, stranger danger. You're like, oh, I should probably stop using her as the quirky best friend in my fit. <laughs> yeah, she's not quirky. Roger's callback to the witch trial. <laughs> well, it smells like a fucking barbecue. Like a barbecue. Because <laughs> it was a fucking barbecue. Oops. <laughs> that poor guy. And he was one of Galus's favorite. He had such a lovely cock. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> well, you know, priorities. Oh, God. Anyway. <sighs> So we've got some things that don't make sense either. Yeah. So Claire thinks that she needs to stop Galus going through the stones. This made me want to like beat my head against something very hard. The theme this season is the futility of thwarting the atrocities of history. How you can't change history, all of this stuff. How do we spend so much time? in a flashback to Culloden and Claire still hasn't learned the theme in the season finale, but Roger gets it. How could I not be born? Because I'm here. Yeah. We needed some of that, uh, that sweet advice, Roger, when Claire was in Paris, Seriously. Okay, a little late. <laughs> and back again to this whole, Oh no, I can't stop her because then, cause you won't be like, Oh, back to this whole, like I can control you the universe exist. thing. You won't exist. Uh, pretty oh, sure. God. Now, granted, he said that not necessarily to counter the logic, but he was trying to make her confront what he thought was a delusion, which was not a bad tactic. No. Necessarily. (laughs) And it worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) I'd like to pick the thread a little bit, though, about the whole thing about Roger not existing, because it's also straight up weird that Claire was like, to this lady like hey can you do some lineage for me and like totally does this lineage for roger who she barely knows and it's like let me just do this like intrusive fucking family tree for you (laughs) and she didn't even ask to see some id like who are you (laughs) Yeah, I know. The lady's just like, oh, sure. But in the book, though, in the book, though, Reverend Wakefield had the family tree tacked up on a on the wall somewhere. Oh, yeah, so I think you're right. He yeah. already knew. Who who already knew? Roger. Well, he didn't know about Galus and um, right. Dougal, but yeah, yeah. like he already knew what his family tree was. Yeah. Well, he didn't know, though, that Galus 
he did yeah he didn't know about galas and Duco right because he yeah but my point is there was no reason for claire to ask for that information <laughs> in such a you mean in all, you mean in all the snooping around she did in that house she didn't she find did like the freaking book with the family tree in it i'm not sure how <laughs> anyone found anything in that house it was oh God. kind of the like surviving relatives nightmare <laughs> like, <laughs> no. oh my god so yeah, that's mine. Why does the main character not yet know the theme? How about you? So first of all, <laughs> there is a list, y'all. <laughs> I have a list. <laughs> first of all, who are these relatives that Claire was supposedly visiting in London when she just happened to hear about the Reverend's death and like scooted up to Scotland to go to this weird, this like intimate memorial and snoop around his house um <laughs> is uncle lamb buried there i don't know <laughs> I, i'm like didn't wasn't the whole the whole thing that she had like nobody, nobody. in left in her family and like so who i mean they're not visiting frank's family are they i mean, I mean maybe they are i don't know but it was that was just kind of weird like who are you visiting, Claire? This is all kind of sounding a little sketchy. Uh, Slightly. <laughs> so that was the first thing. And this has always freaking bugged me. When they go to Fort William, Roger and Bree, they go to Fort William and they're talking about history. Roger mis- says the quote, I have but one regret um, that I have only one life to live for my country. And Roger's like, oh, Ethan Allen said that. And Brianna's like, common mistake. It was Nathan Hale. And I'm like, how the fuck is that a common mistake? Does how many people even know who Ethan Allen is? Like, she grew up in Boston for Christ's sake. Nobody was mistaking Nathan Hale and Ethan Allen. Okay? So it's just like, wh- why? That just really bugged me. Like, why? Why? I mean, I could see somebody from Scotland making that mistake, but for Brianna to be like, common mistake. Although it's also kind of sketchy because Roger's history specialty is not um, the United States. No. So yeah. why would he even? Uh, anyway. I don't know. Uh, blah, 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 blah. That just has bothered me every time. Like every time I hear that, I'm like, who is else is making that mistake? Nobody. Okay. But you can read about Ethan Allen. He was a pretty cool person. So anyway, it's not the furniture store. I was going to say, you wrote that down. And that's literally the only thing I can think of as a furniture store. When I hear the name Ethan Allen, I uh, did not do awesome in U.S. history when I was in high school. Yeah. So he was like, I won't give you a full history lesson. Thank you. (laughs) He was like in the French and Indian War. And then he, during the revolution, he raised... um, he raised troops um, that were called the Green Mountain Boys, which that oh. might ring a bell a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they helped capture the British fort at Ticonderoga. Okay. Um, yeah. So, and he uh, he was a volunteer also in Philip Schuyler's forces. And that's just a special interest to me because Philip Schuyler was one of the prominent settlers in the Albany area. He was Alexander Hamilton's father-in-law and my 
husband's side of the family is related to him. Ah. Anyway, moving on. This has also always bothered me. Claire randomly wears glasses for driving in this (laughs) episode only. But then when she goes back, she doesn't need glasses ever. I mean, she does later in the books, but like, like not, you know, I've never heard of glasses just for driving. So that's really weird. If she's farsighted. So like if she can't see far away. Nope. Nearsighted if she can't see if she can't see far away, but she can see fine up close. It's not that severe. Yeah, she could just wear it for that. Uh, yeah, but like if you're nearsighted, like I'm nearsighted and like if I can't see to drive, I certainly also need my glasses to like function, right? And then I'm like, should she really be doing surgery on people without her glasses on? Like like you need them to drive, but you're cool with doing surgery without I don't glasses. Know. Like, I don't that- know. <laughs> it's just so random. It's just thing. so random. Like, like why? But like, why were the glasses even necessary? Was this to remind us that she's getting older? Probably like, because the gigantic gray streak in her humongous hair was not true. <laughs> her hair should her honestly. It's fabulous, but her wig should have been on the credits. That's not a wig. That's That wasn't a wig? She, okay, then the Aquanet said, should have been on the credits. That's a lot of She spread. said in an interview that it was just, they just teased her real hair. So much hair, though. It's so big. Okay. No, the volume. It's a lot of hair. Uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> it's a lot to take in. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just such a weird detail. It's just funny, too, because, you know, they give Jamie glasses when when Claire goes back and uh, (laughs) to make him look older. I know, but it's just like, (laughs) but it's just funny because Sam Hewen uses them as his like, I'm going to get serious now. It's so cute, but it's just like... I do like his relationship with the prop. <laughs> I do. Know. It's like, it's like, he always gets this like funny face when he puts them oh. on and it's like... <clears throat> like he pretends that he's kind of like shy about the fact that he wears glasses, but then he just like leans into it. Just... <laughs> it works, though. I mean, it's it's in character. It's very in character. It is. It is. It's so funny. It's adorable. I just, I just, I would just like to state for the record that I think Claire looks very sexy in her glasses. I like them. I just don't understand why they're there. <laughs> in theory, it should be to help her see, but. I have nothing against the glasses. It's just weird that they're there. <laughs> anyway, I did add one other thing to the to our prep sheet mm-hmm. for the what's John up to, and I just said John is about to have a horrible, no good, very rotten day. Everybody is about to have a horrible, no good, very rotten day. True. Everybody, but yeah, John. Yeah. And on that note, on that note, hey, did you see when they released 
that they released the the theme song and the new like intro for season seven and there's a like a little part of it where you see one hand folding a sapphire into another hand john giving jamie back the rock yes (laughs) that's would you believe me if i told you i did not watch that video yet i've only seen the gist yes i would believe you you. believe me okay (laughs) it's you of course i saw it on twitter i'm like i don't have the spoons today i'll i'll wait and then i stopped looking at it and so it stopped existing because i don't have object permanence (laughs) it's very good and sinead o'connor is singing is does the singing in it this time yeah um and yeah it's, it's, it's really cool but it made me think though that because the sapphire was very clearly on like a little like ribbony thing, like John wore it in uh, Jamaica. So it made me think that they're not going to do the whole Hector's ring thing, which makes me sad because, you know, yeah, the fact that John had a choice to give Jamie Hector's keepsake or the, what Jamie gave him. And he chooses to give away what Hector gave him to Jamie. It's just like, it's so important. Why doesn't anybody think it's important? It is. Anyway. I I know. We'll probably have a meltdown riot. If that is, in <sighs> fact, a change that stays in the final cut. Because it is very emotional. Well, here's the thing. I kind of understand, though, because all of that stuff about him deciding what to give Jamie is all internal. So, like, either he's going to either they would have to have him say, like, I'm going to give you this ring. And it was, you know, it was the ring my gay lover gave me um, and I'm giving it to you because you're more important to me now than my gay lover was. That that's probably not going to go over very well, Jamie. So. I kind of understand why they're doing it, but it also sucks. I'll withhold judgment for now. For now. <laughs> unless they unless they have a scene like earlier in the season where William's like, hey, dad, you've like never told me where that sapphire ring came from. Oh, no. And then John's like, well, actually, um, my gay lover gave it to me. <laughs> See, either, even then it doesn't really that's work. so bad. All I can think is that is the, uh, that's the opening sum up, what do they call it? The boy melodrama scene from every Supernatural episode ever where they are driving in the Impala <laughs> and they are organically filling us in about everything that's happened since we last saw our heroes one week ago on the CW by telling each other what has happened since we last saw our heroes last week on the CW. <laughs> So that would be, that would be awful. You know what though? Let's throw this out there. If um, in seven season seven or season eight, I don't have to, or and or both, maybe I won't be picky. If uh, Jamie and John just do the nasty in the woods, everything is forgiven. <laughs> everything is we're, forgiven. We're still holding out hope, Outlander. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> I'm just saying. All transgressions shall be forgiven. All sins, null and void. Just let them fuck in the woods, please. Oh, God. 
It doesn't have to be the woods. It, <laughs> it doesn't have to be in the woods. It could be in Look, a house. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think the closest we're going to get is the scene with Claire and John having sex and them imagining Jamie with them. I think that's the closest we're going to get if they try, if they, if they take my advice (laughs) and film the scene that way. Um, That's, I think that's, that's probably all we're going to get, which I'll take it. Don't get me wrong. That would be amazing. That would be beautiful. Use that freaking nudity clause. Oh my God, please. Cash it. So it's late. And I think we've beaten this episode to death. Oh, way to death. Well, yeah. Um, thank you for listening, everyone. We will be back next week with a finale, kind of like we did at the end of season one. We didn't do, um, we didn't do like a survey or anything. So we're just gonna kind of bullshit for however long it takes to bullshit. We clearly still have a lot of things to talk about. So clearly, but we'll give you some idea next week um, about what season three is going to look like because we have decided. To continue on for a third season. More about that next week. Thanks everyone for listening. And we will talk to you again on Friday. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're listening to this, it means you survived another episode of Lord John Lander. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter or Tumblr at Lord John Lander or on our website at lordjohnlander.wordpress.com slash contact us. All opinions expressed on the Lord John Lander podcast belong to us and are not affiliated with Outlander, Sony, Stars, and definitely 100% not with Diana Gabaldon. This podcast is not suitable for children, immature adults, homophobes, anyone who takes fandom seriously, people who don't understand that the characters aren't real, people with sticks up their ass, people who hate fun, and people with no sense of humor. Do not try any of these hot takes at home. We are professionals. And if you know us in real life, no you don't.